if you find a good deal and you know what you're doing, the money doesn't matter, the credit doesn't matter, the like nothing else matters. Everything else will just fall into place. Welcome to Podcast for Patriots. I'm your host, Jim Fralick, and this is show number eight. I ain't rich, but I damn sure wanna be. Working like a dog all day ain't working for me. I wish I had a rich uncle that'd kick the bucket and I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat. Our goal here with Podcast for Patriots is to educate, inspire, and assist military members and veterans in achieving financial wealth through real estate investing. Hey guys, today I'm happy to be interviewing my first active duty Marine, and he is a fellow podcaster, he's a blogger, YouTuber, active duty Marine, and he happens to own a real estate investment company, uh, he and his wife Kimberly, and they live out in Hawaii. This is David Parade. David, do you have me five by there? I appreciate it, brother. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Good deal. Thank you for waking up at 0500. I guess that's normal for you to get up... <laughs> early in the morning way out there in Hawaii. I gave a little bit of a thumbnail sketch there, but I would like it if you could uh, fill my listeners in on how you got to be in real estate and some of your military background. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the Marine Corps for, uh, I guess, 10 and a half years now. been kind of all over the world doing that. And when I was a recruiter in the Midwest in Missouri, a buddy of mine gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which kind of starts everything for everyone, it seems like. And uh, I told him I don't read in true Marine fashion. So he he told me to download Audible and try listening to it while I drive because on recruiting, you have a lot of time in between high schools and this and the other where you're just sitting behind a wheel. And uh, I listened to it in like two days. And I mean, in in true form, it changed my mindset and off we went. I think within three months, I had closed on my first property. You know, it's a bummer because Audible doesn't show you like the date you finished a book because I've never been able to figure out exactly when I finished it, like how many days that was, but it was very quick. It was like I finished it, started listening to another book, went out and looked for a duplex and we were closed by, by I would say, probably two months, but at least three months later. So took massive action right away. That's awesome. I was still on active duty when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad back in, I want to say 1998 as a 28-year-old and uh, sort of did the same thing, try to take massive action. In my case, I had a little bit of a bad experience. I, I explained it in my uh, initial monologue episode. So you find yourself there in the E quadrant, you took massive action, and next thing you know, you and your wife had a duplex. That's awesome. So what I do want to ask you for the other people that get excited and want to take massive action when they listen to you say that. What early warning can you give our listeners about what to watch for that you've learned now that you're a little more seasoned at investing? Early warning systems online. General quarters, general quarters, man your battle stations. This is not a drill. Repeat, this is not a drill. Yeah. It's going to be different depending on what asset class you're getting into, I would say. I've got some horror stories, so to speak, from a uh, a large multifamily I jumped into where I would say, don't trust people and get everything in writing would be my big early warning to people. But I'm actually in a lawsuit right now because the guy broke a whole bunch of... There were a lot of contract disputes, I guess you could oh, say. Boy. So I'm uh, I'm trying to get my money back out of it. You know, it happens. As far as, you know, a normal first investment property like a duplex, I would say the numbers really like that's the that's the big thing is, is just avoid looking at 
anything and thinking about anything and just run the numbers, run the numbers, run the numbers. Common mistake I see people make is not verifying who pays utilities. Uh, you know, you'll get into a duplex and you'll think, oh, great, all the numbers were awesome on this. And then you'll find out, oh, wait a minute, the tenants don't pay utilities. That's, you know, 300 bucks a month out of my cash flow. And now it's not cash flowing. I've seen people fall for that. So that's probably the one that I would say is like the one question people don't always confirm They'll ask who pays utilities and then not call the utility company and confirm. And I've seen that a few times. Good warning. So now I'm going to ask you, David, you obviously went into house hacking to start and now you've at least had some multifamily experience. But I'm going to lay out uh, sort of the four main areas I think about real estate. One is opportunity investing. One is geography based based on market in specific areas. One is asset class specific, and one is niche investing, might be like Airbnb or short-term rentals. Amongst those four, or it could be any or all the above or none, how do you view your own investing strategy at this point? Uh, I would probably put myself in the two middle ones, the asset and market. Yeah, so I I invest mainly in the Midwest. I, I would say, I mean, I'm always open for an opportunity, but it seems like most of the opportunities that have been thrown my way have just not panned out as far as, you know, people bringing deals that weren't quite as good as I thought, or I couldn't build a solid team in place to really trust my gut on it. So the area that I've invested in in Southwest Missouri, I've got a really solid team and the market itself is pretty good. It's one of those markets where it doesn't appreciate, depreciate much, but the cash flow is always there, which is fine for me. Then, you know, asset class right now, I'm more of a, I guess you could say small to mid multifamily investor, but I'm open to really anything from single family up to probably 20 unit would be my go-to right now. Uh, Honestly, if it's a big enough deal and it's good, I'd jump on it. But, you know, I a little hesitant now because my last, my my 50 unit or 40 unit kind of didn't go so hot. So I'm kind of okay. playing it safe right now until I get my capital back. In the middle of learning another lesson, apparently. That's how you grow yeah. and get stronger, right? Yeah. So Southwest Missouri, you mentioned. So are, are all your, are all your assets at in that same area now? I mean, is that kind of your focus area? Let me, let me put it another way. Do you have one management company right now? Are you managing these remotely? I partnered on a house flip out here in Hawaii, but aside from that, everything's been in the Midwest. Uh, one management company, one amazing management company, which has been like life-changing. I'm able to just not touch my properties at all after their purchase, uh, you know, with the exception of a few minutes here and there. But for the most part, everything is handled by them and I can just sleep peacefully at night knowing I'm going to get a check at the end of the month. Copy. That makes sense. Good. Well, that's exciting. Little little side note when I ask you about, you're now the second guy I've interviewed in uh, from Hawaii. I think that may be how you heard about me from Doug. I did. Oh, Good old Doug. There you go. So he's an interesting character for sure. So uh, I didn't get a chance to connect with him, but I, I recently went out there for the first time. I uh, support the military. So I was out there on temporary duty on uh, Ford Island and then oh, right we stayed in Waikiki and uh, drove near a Marine Corps base, I think, as we drove uh, northeast. So is that kind of where you are from Waikiki? Are you in that area? Or are you- you're you're probably talking up by Schofield. I'm on the Kan Kaneohe Bay, which is like the far windward southern side of the island, like its own little peninsula. It's pretty sweet. Oh, okay. Wow. Nice. We have some of the best beaches on the bay, on the island. The locals are all upset because they can't get on and surf as much as they have. You, have you been there for a while or are you set to have to move soon? Or what? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm uh, this summer I'm up to, uh, I mean, it's not a bad place. I'm headed to San Diego, so I can't really complain. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, you know, Hawaii to San Diego, I'm good with that. If it had been Hawaii to, I don't know, Minnesota, I'd probably be upset. But Gotcha. Uh, still staying sunny, nice and warm. Still sunny. Hey, uh, I want to know if you can give our investors, most people listening to me are going to be beginning investors. Although I do have some seasoned investors on my on my list, especially on my newsletter. 
there. What might you tell them if they have a little money or poor credit or both about getting started? They're just pumped up. They listen to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. They listen to your podcast, the uh, From Military to Millionaire, which is an awesome website, by the way. What advice you got for them? I always tell people, learn, network, and then take action. And then I guess I can explain that a little bit. But the, the thing I would like to say on there is is don't let your credit stop you. Uh, in fact, I'm actually in the process of writing, a I guess, a blog post. I, I haven't really finished outlining everything on the fact that I, I see all these people posting online all the time, like, I have X credit score and, you know, whatever. And what can I do with it? And it's like, man, if you're just having an 840 credit score, if you don't understand anything about money and don't understand how to utilize it. Um, so I would say focus less on your credit, more on your education. So I say learn, network, and take action. So reading books, listening to podcasts, and then you know getting out around people out in the community, uh, local meetups or even seminars online. But local meetups, networking is huge. You know, because if you, if you find a good deal and you know what you're doing, the money doesn't matter, the credit doesn't matter, the like nothing else matters really. And that's you know people can probably disagree with me on that. But ultimately, if you know what you're doing and you find a good deal, everything else will just fall into place. Uh, and that's the, you know, the take action piece. But uh, I would just say, hey, if you're listening to this and you're new, like get out there, learn some stuff, get around people who know what they're doing and then, you know, pick their brain. Uh, and don't be don't be that guy who shows up to a meetup in true Marine fashion or military fashion with the like beat my chest. I'm awesome. Um, just shut up, show up and, and listen and ask questions. <laughs> you will go far. Cool. Good advice. So, so you personally, and I think I might know where you go with this answer, but if you could go back in time yourself now, knowing what you do and could start this uh, journey you've been on, would you change anything? Or would you do it just the same? I would, I would change some things. I would probably, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, aside from this one deal, which I'm not going to say I didn't do anything wrong, but you know, uh, I'm kind of on the, the, I hate to use the word victim, but on, on that side of it. So I'm not, I didn't, I didn't necessarily punt it in the stands. I, the guy legitimately, there's contractual things that just never got done. And there's a lot of money owed that never got paid. So it just wasn't worth holding up. So I don't know that I made any mistakes going into that so much as the fact that I should have documented everything, written everything down. And I think that's a huge one going forward is when you're negotiating things with people. And I read this in the book, uh, Never Split the Difference, which is an awesome book. Whenever you negotiate something with someone, like immediately send them an email right after recapping everything you talked about. So there's written proof of like, yes, we talked about this on the phone, you know, X, Y, Z, because uh, that's that's actually kind of what's biting me in the rear right now is like, oh, that never happened. Eh, yes, it did. Um, uh, I, I would say if I if I was to go back and I was to try to change something, I'd probably go bigger faster. Okay. I, I, you know, I haven't had a whole lot of things come from go, go wrong from taking massive action. You know, everyone, everyone's afraid of it. And I've, I've missed, I can count on my, you know, at least three deals off the top of my head that if I just pulled the trigger, like right away would have been deals of a lifetime, quote unquote, you know, and one of them, it was this awesome deal that I should have just jumped on. And instead I started asking my realtor questions. The other was a wholesale deal. And I wanted to get uh, better comps on in the deal to make sure it would actually work. And, you know, on, on both of those occasions, the property was gone by the time I got my answers back. And, and, you know, I was able to follow up with the investors later and realize like everything I thought was right was absolutely right. You know, and on one of them, I missed out on a, a burst strategy that would have had $40,000 in equity, all my money back. And the guy's still cash flowing like 300 bucks a month on it. And I'm like, I should have just pulled the trigger. <laughs> so I would say, don't let your emotions get in the way. If the numbers are good and you know they're good, pull the trigger. Makes perfect sense. I would say definitely don't let your emotions get in the way either way. Either exactly. not pulling the trigger 
or pulling the trigger too quick because that's the other side. That's the flip side of that coin. It depends all on your tolerance for risk, right? Some people are too anxious to do a deal and uh, they haven't thought about keeping their money. How zero is better than minus, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then like you said, there's those deals where you just, you look back right after, but that's that's part of the game, right? Uh, so great advice. So I want to ask you what a, what a good deal looks like to you now like if you if you don't mind sharing if you have a a recent deal or something you're willing to share the numbers on i'm kind of biased at this point i've been really fortunate in so i have 13 units right now and of the 13 i've never put in more than six percent down and i've been able to get a hundred percent return on investment on all of them in the first year for example this 10 unit i bought i bought for two hundred and twelve thousand dollars but through seller financing and local, you know, community bank financing where they were a little bit more flexible, I was able to put less than 5% down. It was like 10,900 or something like that. And the property makes anywhere from 13 to 1700 a month in cash flow. So within the first year, I had more than made my money back, you know, and that's just kind of the nice thing about the Midwest is you can you can buy at fairly decent prices and if you're, you know, if you ask about seller financing and things, they're, they're a lot more flexible on a lot of stuff because the housing prices are affordable. Um, I would say a good deal to me at this point, you know, I always use the at least $100 a door in cash flow, but more importantly to me at this point is how much equity can I get in it when I buy it? Because I'm, you know, it, it doesn't appreciate, depreciate too much there. So I'm trying to do a lot more equity purchase. So I'm building net worth as well as the cash flow. Because $100 a door in Missouri is, is easy. I mean, I can I can shoot fish in a barrel and, and hit $100 a door. So I'm trying to make more equity plays. So like the Burr strategy investing or buying off personal distress. So I get it at a discount and then being able to put a little bit of work into it and, uh, and you know, having some, some cash in the deal. Really, I, I think it just kind of depends on what your strategy is. But for me, I want to be able to get in for less than 10% down, cash flow just fine and be able to move on to the next property because I know that that's 100% realistic in my area. Okay. Let me slow down and ask you about that a little bit. Um, you said some really interesting things there. If I understood you right, the 10 unit, did you say you essentially got 100% cash on cash return in the first year or did I miss something? That's amazing. <laughs> that's a high bar. I, I would have I would, I would have probably hit like one and a half percent or, or one and a half times cash on cash return, but I uh, had some interesting, it was a kind of a weird year. Uh, I had three evictions, which I knew about two of them when I went into it, um, but I had three evictions. Uh, one of the guys, when he was leaving the property, took out my roof with his U-Haul and you know it took like six months for them to actually pay for it. So I was out of pocket for that in the first year. And it was, uh, it was an interesting year, but yeah, I, I still got I think I put 10,900 down on it and I probably made about 13 in cash flow last year. That's awesome. That's really good. So now the second part I want to ask you about is the less than 10% cash down. I just want to understand that relative to, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about like value add properties that are going to require some rehab to get the rents up. And I don't know if it's B or C class uh, neighborhoods, but when I look at places and I'll take some that might be analogous to to your area, like Memphis or Birmingham, areas that are, are very solid and stable, have some distressed properties. Yeah, usually I'm getting prices where people are asking for cash prices, or you need 30% down. Or So for a local lender, they're generally not going to go in and appraise it at a level that uh, allows a lender to, you know, 
put up 80% like they would in a normal residential situation. So I just want to understand the model, how you've made it work for you. I think you might've said seller financing. Maybe that's the key, but over to you. <laughs> seller financing is a wonderful thing that not enough people use. The terms are super flexible. And if you get the right seller, um, you can basically do anything you want with it. So like on the 10 unit, we were under contract for 225. There were some repair issues. We opted to, instead of paying for the repairs, just take it off the purchase price. Some Somehow when we did that, the bank was just decided to keep their loan at the same amount. And I had already agreed on an amount for the seller to finance. And I ended up coming out. I mean, I like I said, it was like five, it was like 85% bank financing, 10.5% seller financing, and then like 4.6% out of my pocket or something like that. You know, and I was able to do that on, and that was, I mean, it, it is a value add. I've probably put, probably added uh, 50 to $100,000 in value to it by raising rents and changing some stuff up. But I mean, that was a full price offer. And for me, as long as the property is cash flowing enough to be comfortable with that, you know, I don't see anything wrong with going ten percent down on a, a probably a probably a low B class ten unit. I don't necessarily see anything with that, just because you know. So the biggest the biggest risk when you go low low percent down, right, is the market crashes. You have no room to no wiggle room, and all of a sudden you're upside down on this property. But in the Midwest, you know, especially Missouri area, even in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, the, the properties maybe depreciated like ten or fifteen thousand dollars. You know, okay. some of the higher end stuff maybe, but the the pricing, the the housing price just does not fluctuate much. So the the risk is much, much, much smaller on having a low equity play. But you're right. Yeah, when I'm when I'm looking 10%, what I'm what I'm really looking for is someone to sell or finance me a deal that's like half off. Uh <laughs> that's that's the the ideal situation, right? Is I find a property that maybe had fire damage or had some really crappy tenants or something like that that the guy's owned for 10 years and you know I can move in and say, okay, well hey it's only worth 50,000 let me get it from you you know I'll I'll sell or finance whatever so the the one of the ways that I can do that is you know if the bank won't lend on it I can do a full seller financing or seller financing with some percent down from me um, but if it's still in okay shape and the bank will lend on it a lot of the community banks in my area will lend more than the typical 80% 90 you know 85% whatever even if it's an investment property and some of them are even okay with me piggybacking seller financing off to where I could go in theory 100% finance which is kind of a, a riskier play. But again, you know, if you're buying it with a large equity stake in an area that doesn't really appreciate or depreciate, your biggest risk is not being able to cover repairs. And as long as you have a reserve account, you're really kind of covered there. Great. So I'm assuming those are community banks giving uh, commercial loans mm -hmm. in that scenario. Okay. Yeah. All right. I follow you. Interesting strategy. Looks like it's been uh, working out for you. Do you do you try to find stuff on the MLS? So do you do your own marketing or do you do FISBOs or how do you, uh, what's your strategy for finding properties. I really should focus more on FISBOs and calling guys who post for rent. I think I'll do that more once I move back there uh, and I'm local and I can you know, face to face with people. I prefer that than over the phone. In my area, you can find MLS deals uh, and they'll work just fine. So I, I have bought, my duplex was MLS, our single family was MLS. The 10 unit was a result of direct mail though. So I do that as well. That, that was ironically, I was mailing duplexes um, and the guy called me and was like, I have a duplex. I don't want to sell it, but I have a 10 unit I want to sell. Oh, Nice. You well, never know. <laughs> yeah. You never know what you're going to get. And the other uh, question I forgot to ask you before was, do you, uh, on the commercial loan, do you run that through your business at this point? I said, you, I heard you say you're going to do a post about credit. And is it, uh, do you use your business line to do that? Or is that your, per are you personally backing your, your loan on like a 10 unit? So on the 10 unit, 
uh, it was it was still personal. I think at this point going forward, I'll be able to run it through the business now that I've established some uh, credibility, so to speak. Sure. Uh, but I think I think that's generally I, I, there's like a, a dollar amount that you get above before it's like fully based on the property. And I can't remember what the mark is on that, but I wasn't really close. So it was still through my personal credit on that one. Yeah. So, hey, thanks for stepping us through that, David. That's uh, very interesting and pretty down to earth and getting to the details of what people might look at to get started creative. I appreciate you sharing that. Now I'm going to ask you, and I know Rich Dad, Poor Dad is the main book. You mentioned another book along the way here, but if you could pick another book besides Rich Dad, Poor Dad, do you have anything else that's uh, personally inspired you, you would, you would advise beginners to, to uh, look into? I would say you should read the book, uh, Long Distance Real Estate Investing by David Green. It's a Bigger Pockets book. Uh, most of the Bigger Pockets books are pretty good. The reason I suggest that is that a lot of your listeners are military, which means you're going to move. And when you move, you're either going to be moving from long distance distance real estate investor to local or more likely from a local investor to long distance. So like me, I found myself, I owned two properties in Missouri, moved to Hawaii. All of a sudden, I'm a long distance real estate investor. And for a lot of people, that's enough to make you stop investing, right? Because that's kind of nerve wracking. But uh, you know, I was able to find some stuff that worked, but reading David's book really made that a lot simpler. It streamlined some of my processes and helped me understand some other ways to make it more, make myself more effective and kind of get over that hurdle of, oh no, investing long distance is scary because technology is really close that gap. Uh, so I think that's a good book for military guys because, you know, what, inevitably we're going to end up as a long distance investor at some point, as long as we're still active. Definitely. Well, thanks for sharing that. So you've already given a ton of nuggets in a short amount of time. You're a very efficient uh, guy here on a podcast, uh, really having a lot of lot of fun with it. So we're definitely going to have you back sometime if you're willing. And I know at some point, of course, I'll be on your podcast at some point uh, when I'm brave yes, enough yes. to go out there and start talking about my own experiences. <laughs> <laughs> you got any other last thoughts or advice that maybe we didn't cover here? You know, I think we covered a lot, but I would say, I'll probably just reiterate what I said earlier, and that's just take action, right? Like all the learning, all the networking, all of that is super crucial. And I'm not advocating that you take action before you do that. But all the learning in the world doesn't do you anything if you don't pull the trigger. Um, People get stuck in analysis paralysis, unfortunately, all the time. I would just say, you know, do it. And one of the things I found, uh, like easiest way to tell people this is your your go ahead is what I will do. And I'm not saying this is necessarily the right way. But if I find a deal and I run the numbers and I think it sounds solid, I've got a couple buddies that, you know, I've networked with over there, which is why the networking piece is solid or is important. And I will just ask them, hey, here's this deal. Here's the basics. What do you think? any red flags and you're not asking them for like a million details and you know I'm not trying to waste all their time but if they look at it for 30 seconds and they don't see any red flags and all of them look at it and don't see any major red flags then I I'm going to assume that my math was right and I'm going to pull the truth. Um, and that's kind of been my my go-to is if I have a warm and fuzzy about it, I just double check a couple people to make sure like I didn't miss anything big. Uh, and if not, then you know, jump in, go for it. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, David. I really appreciate you giving us this time so early in the morning out there in beautiful Hawaii. And I want you to, if you can, get, uh, tell our listeners how to get in touch with you to learn more about your business. I know you got a ton of uh, educational stuff and a phenomenal website. So please share. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I I am at from military to millionaire.com. Um, also, I mean, really on every social media platform, it's the same thing. Uh, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, from military to millionaire, uh, and then the military millionaire podcast. And it really, the, the whole goal of it is just to help other people understand that 
you know, military real estate investing is a thing. It's possible. It's doable, you know, and help you understand some of the, some of the ways to do it as well as trying to avoid some of those stupid pitfalls that we all do, myself included, where we go and buy Harleys and tattoos and beer instead of anything worthwhile. <laughs> hey, hey, the Harley part is worthwhile. <laughs> it was until I totaled mine. Oh, no. Hey, uh, great advice, David. I look forward to uh, connecting with you more I'm moving along in the future as our as our parallel paths uh, go forward with real estate and uh, keep up the great stuff you do. And, and thanks a lot, brother, for your service. You, you and your family yeah. have a great weekend. Thanks for having me on, brother. It was awesome. All right. Take care. Bye. I'm proud to be your host. I'm privileged to have served and I'm grateful for all your sacrifices. Until next time. Because the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Cause there ain't no doubt